0: Hey y'all, this is Jeff Ryder of Gravity Matters from Cloud Wrangler Comics, and you are listening to Adrian Has Issues, because you are smart.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. Today's guest is an illustrator, and he's a storyboard artist based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And in addition to, let's say, some corporate clients he's worked for, such as McDonald's and even Molson, he's also worked on some feature films and television series, such as Deadpool 2, Game of Thrones, The Flash, Arrow, and Supergirl, just to name a few. But not stopping there, he's also set his sights on the world of comics, which is also kind of a fascinating journey in and of itself. And um just recently, he had been involved in a uh, project that's being kickstarted called Death of the Horror Anthology by uh, Kelly Brack. Please welcome to the show, Jeremy Simmser. Jeremy, how are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm doing very good.
0: Oh, well, uh, thanks for having me. I, uh, I I always enjoy talking about myself. so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine, you know, as well as you should, because, you know, if you're going to be on the podcast, you're like, I don't like talking about myself. And I'm like, ah, it might be a little bit different. But something I like doing on a show is kind of getting into the meat and potatoes as to not only why people create, but really what goes into the things that they create, because there's a lot of things that I think the average consumer... Maybe at least a little aware of, but they really don't know the ins and outs and what goes into making these things. So I figure what we'll do is, you know, let's get at least a little bit of your background in terms of illustration and how that then transitioned into your work as a storyboard artist. I know it's kind of a loaded question, but I figured, you know what, let's start at your origin story and then we can start building from there.
0: Well, I mean, I think like like anybody who works as a, as a professional artist, uh, I mean, obviously I've been drawing uh, in some uh, capacity or another since I was a kid and uh uh, when i was in high school i i was i was leaning towards like i mean i was always a big reader of comics and stuff like that so in high school i was like well what am i going to do with my life after school uh, i actually made the odd decision of going to school for music instead of art because i love music as much as i love drawing and so that was the choice that i made even though i played the trombone so there's not really much of a career path if you're a trombone player but i decided that's what i wanted to do anyways but uh uh, while I was uh, in school for music, I was still drawing all the time. So I mean, I think I fostered and nurtured both skill sets at the same time, which kind of ended up working out. Because as I said, if you're if you're trying to be a professional trombonist, you really kind of have to be like the cream of the crop, if you know what I mean. Right. I was good, uh, but not the type of person who really makes a living doing that type of thing. So after school, I ended up working like various sort of like part time jobs while I was still kind of drawing and and full time jobs like driving forklift for Ikea and stuff like that. And then I just kind of stumbled into doing a music video and storyboarding a music video, even though at the time I didn't really know what storyboarding was uh, because some friends of mine from music school uh, had a, a, a little jazz band that they were putting together. And uh, they knew that I'd draw. And so that was just it. They were just like, do you want to do this? And I was just like, yeah, sure. And then I immediately like went to the library
1: because
0: <laughs> I really didn't know what I was doing. And so I got a book. I got a book called Shot by Shot. And it's like uh, and it essentially tells you how to direct movies. And so that really helped me out a lot. And I went in and, like I knew what I was doing and kind of faked my way through that. And uh uh, and literally everything that uh, that I've accomplished since then has derived from that one job. It was one connection after another, basically all the way going all the way back to that first job. So, it's an interesting uh, path. Because I kind of let the let the, the, the desire to draw comic books, which was originally why I started drawing, uh, sort of go by the wayside when I realized that I could make some money doing this.
1: You did something that I think is pretty interesting is the fact that you could have literally just went in and half asked it, but you went and you actually researched. You know, you did your homework and figured out, okay, what exactly does entail? And I mean, yeah, you're just starting out, so obviously there, I'm sure there's a learning curve. But I think that's a really important step is figuring out what you can learn from the beginning. And thus that way now you can go and It's like, all right, yeah, at least so you had some background as far as what you researched. So it wasn't like you literally just went in and just kind of just threw stuff at the wall.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I don't think you're doing yourself any favors if you don't educate yourself at least a little bit, right? Like I was upfront with the fact that I'd never done it before, but they were just like, well, we can't really afford anybody who's done it before. So that cause, yeah, I mean, they, paid me, <laughs> they paid me like very, very little money to do it. But yeah, so it ended up, it ended up working out in that sense because I actually think I did a, a quite a good job with, the, with my first storyboards ever, uh, or passable job, anyways. And that led the uh, director of that music video, who was also like first regular camera operator for a different director, to recommend me for another job. And then that one went to another one, and to another one, and until I got my first real job, uh, like an actual like job for a production company on a TV show.
1: Oh, cool! Um, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what was that first production that you worked on?
0: Uh, my first full-time, actual, real production work uh, that may, got made into something on a regular basis a, was a TV show called Witchblade. Oh, I love that show. The Yancey Butler one, right? Yeah, yeah, Yancey Butler. Yeah, way back on – on I think it was on TNT, was it? Yeah, yeah. it was on TNT. Because I was working full-time at IKEA when that job came up, and it was just like – literally, I think it was about two weeks before I was having a funny conversation with my manager about blah, blah, blah. I know, yeah, like that that big lucrative storyboarding job ever comes up, ha, 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 right? And then, literally two weeks later, I was just like, "Yeah." So, remember that joke that I made about the big lucrative? St- yeah, well, it came up, and <laughs> I have to I have to quit now. <laughs> so, I got the call on a Friday, and I quit IKEA, worked the weekend, and then started the other job on Monday. So, <laughs> nice. I'm sorry. I just imagine
1: you on the forklift, writing out of the job, like holding up your middle finger the entire time. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know what? I was tempted, but I made sure that I left that job in good standing so that I could go back just in case. And I did. I certainly did. So
1: Okay, good. All right. So <laughs> I know like that show kind of became something of a cult hit, but I love the hell out of Witchblade. And while the show was very brief, it did garner like a pretty steady fan base.
0: Yeah, we had a little convention up in Toronto, actually, where that were, were shot. And uh, like after the first season was finished, and we were just about to ramp up for the second season, or we may have started doing the second season at that point. I'm not 100% sure about the timing it was a long time ago but yeah we had a little a little fan convention just for witchblade in the in, in one of the hotels and a lot of people came <laughs> <laughs> yeah and went through
1: your resume and the stuff that you worked on and i noticed that a lot of the stuff you know i recognize in very sort of cult based in terms of their fandom and i think that's something that is also really cool and i've talked to other guests about the same thing of you know Working for necessarily like, you know, the most famous, you know, let's say, whether it be Hollywood or music, whatever it is, you know, that's cool. But if you're able to at least, you know, be involved in something where maybe the fan bases aren't massive, but they're super dedicated, I think in a way that actually kind of makes it cooler because you're able to cultivate a following even at this level. So I, I think that's pretty remarkable.
0: There's something cool about that sort of more culty kind of fan base. Yeah, it's right. true. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it feels kind of special to be part of that in a way. That uh, that we're, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I worked on Game of Thrones, so uh, that's cool in a different way because everybody loves Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? Like, it's not right. exactly like this quiet sort of thing that, like, if you're in the know, you know about Game of Thrones. But at the same time, it's like. Uh, It's still awesome and amazingly cool to have been a part of something like that. That's like sort of more like a part of history, if you know what I mean.
1: Right. And even like the same with, let's say, the shows that you've done for like the CW, like Flash, Arrow, Supergirl. And I believe you also did some work for Legends of Tomorrow, correct?
0: Yeah, I've worked on all four shows. yeah.
1: Yeah. And those are shows that I mean, I grew up predominantly Marvel. So it wasn't until, like, you know, growing up and the friends that I had and, you know, now between my girlfriend and the stepkids, you know, they're very, you know, super into the DC stuff, especially like the cartoons. So, you know, watching these shows with them... It kind of made it, like, cool for me. And here I am, 33, and my stepkid who's, you know, he's half my age, like, he knows way more about, like, I didn't even know who Mirror Master was until I started watching, like, the TV shows. And I'm like, you know what? I need to start doing my homework.
0: But- me neither. I was always a Marvel guy, too. There was something about the mindset of the Marvel books where it's, like, really trying to, to bring it down to Earth. Uh, right. And sort of make them really be like really sort of human stories that that always appealed to me more as a nerd, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure uh, where exactly that sort of lies, but I mean, you know, sort of the, like the outcast feeling of the of the X-Men and the and the allegories there. Exactly. And, uh, and all that type of stuff, whereas the, the, the D.C. stuff always felt more like the tagger line on injustice right? It's the gods among us where they're they're harder to relate to. At first, anyways, and then when you got into the stuff in the 80s and the 90s, like when they started to reboot, when John Byrne did the Man of Steel and uh, miniseries and stuff like that, and they really tried to humanize Superman. Uh, that's when I, when I sort of jumped on and got a little bit more into, into the DC stuff.
1: Right. And something I have noticed, which kind of leads into your storyboarding stuff, is that watching, whether it be the cartoons or now the current TV shows, is what I love about DC, where I feel like their strength really lied in terms of their storytelling and other mediums, is you know, they do very well in serialized formats. So something like a television show or a cartoon series, I think works perfectly because I feel that those characters tend to thrive there where that's the one thing Marvel, I guess, with the Netflix shows, they have some success, but whereas DC, I feel like the way that their stories are told and the way their heroes are framed, it works perfectly for that, which with that, obviously you need a good storyboardist. So (laughs) what I (laughs) want to get into though is you know, debunking myths and really just kind of getting into what exactly a storyboarder does. And for anybody who may be listening who may not be aware, like what is basically like your day to day?
0: OK, so my job uh, is essentially uh, uh, on any given show. So I'll work on a, on a show and I'll go in on a daily. So I'll go in for a meeting for this particular episode. I'll sit down with the director. Uh, usually now on the shows that, that, that I work on, there's generally eight days of prep and then eight days of shoot. So while one episode is shooting, the next episode is prepping. So what I'll do is usually on day three or four of prep after they've had a chance to like scout some locations and stuff like that and figure out a couple of the, the you know, a couple of the sequences that they want to do with me. Uh, I go in and I, and I sit down with the director uh, and sometimes depending uh, uh, on the show uh, with the director of photography as well. We talk through particular sequences on these shows that can't storyboard everything. It's not necessary to storyboard scenes of of Barry and Iris talking about how much they love each other, for example. Right. Um. So I just I just we don't do those. Uh, we do the stuff that's uh, visual effects, uh, uh, special effects or stunt heavy generally or something that requires a particular camera move for whatever reason, that they need to communicate. So my job is to sit down with the director. The director will describe the sequence to me and, depending on the director, the shots that they want to do to shoot that scene. Uh, And so what I will do uh, is draw, literally, like almost like a comic book frame, of the shot that they want. So I do a sequence of those shots, uh, uh, and eventually it uh, it ends up being sort of like a comic book representation of the sequence that they're going to shoot. So that will essentially be a communications tool for everybody else on the crew. So then rather than actually having to use his or her words to describe kind of weird visual concepts, they can use their words to describe those to me, and then I'll draw them in a way that people can easily access generally with their eyes.
1: So in a way, like while you may not necessarily be in comics per se, but you've basically kind of already been doing general work because much like any artist, you know, with the writer, you know, you know, I'm sure you're working off of the script and how they're framing things. And that's not too different from, you know, how comic books are created. So you're kind of already halfway there.
0: there it's a very similar process. Uh, sequential art is sequential art, really. I mean, there are some rules that you have to stick to with when you're working with film and television that you don't have to be quite so uh, strict with when you're working in comics. Uh, like screen direction, for example, in and, and, and television is really important. Like if character is looking left... To the other character then you want to make sure that that's consistent so that the viewer doesn't get disoriented right, right? and while the, and while there's a particular way that you can set up a page so that the reader doesn't get disoriented it doesn't matter 100 that everybody's always facing the same way that they were in the panel previous do you know what i mean
1: right because obviously if there's one thing that's off on one of those then the actor is not going to know what they're doing and then it's frustrating for the director and anybody else involved so
0: well just think about it think about it as a viewer right so so if you're looking if you're watching a show and and I'm going to use Barry and Iris again as as an example. So Barry's on screen and the way that the that the frame is uh is set up is that he's looking camera right to look at Iris who's off screen, right? So you would expect then the reverse of that for Iris to be looking at Barry camera left. Correct, right? Just because it's the exact reverse of it. So if you framed the Iris shot so that she was also looking camera right, it would, they, it wouldn't look like they were talking to each other.
1: Right. It'd be very noticeable. And, and believe me, I've seen that happen in movies or TV shows before, you know, those things where <laughs> you could definitely tell that there maybe was a little bit of a, uh, you know, miscommunication. And, you know, it, it's, it happens, but by the same time, like you will notice those things. So obviously you have to be on top of your game
0: where it happens mainly these days I'm finding is that, is that in action sequences there, they tend to be a little like cutty. There's lots of cutting happening and it's a little bit harder to, to really sort of get your bearings if you change screen direction in a situation like that, like forget it. Like as an audience member, even I, who, who am well trained to watch something like that, like more, maybe more so than the average viewer. Right. Uh, it, maybe it bugs me because I do it like, because I work (laughs) in the business. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe the average person doesn't even notice it, but for me, it's just like, Oh, I hate it. And it's totally jarring and it, and it removes me from the scene. So you want to keep that, As natural feeling as possible. So, uh, whereas in comics, it doesn't really matter so much. You can kind of put your camera wherever you want, as long as storytelling wise, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, and it's got to make sense for the type of thing that you're working on. Because while Game of Thrones can be very action heavy at times, or there there can be like a lot of effects, different shots, you know, such as during like a large battle. I'd imagine there it's a little bit different than like, let's say the Flash, you know, you're dealing with a character whose sole superpower is super speed and hyper movement. You know, same thing with Deadpool. He's very animated, you know, martial arts and things like that. Like you said, it's a lot different doing that than, let's say, Barry and Iris talking.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it is in that obviously the action sequences are, are are different to draw than than people talking sequences. But by the same token, you're still pretty much following the, the same set of rules, no matter what kind of sequence you're, you're drawing, whether it be a, a more static conversation sequence or a big, huge action deal. I mean, you're pretty much following the same set of rules to shoot them as you would for either one of them. So it's it's an interesting concept that you could sort of approach boarding a, a conversation scene in the same manner as you would an action scene. But really, you know, keep the actions going in the same direction. Keep things facing the right direction. Make sure that if somebody leaves the frame camera right that they enter the next frame camera left so that it makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Right. So all that, all that stuff still sort of holds true, regardless of what kind of what kind of scene you're, you're working on.
1: You said earlier you grew up with a very strong love of comics and comic book culture. So having worked on as a storyboard artist for a number of years, that itch, but regardless of how much you scratch it, it's still there. So now you're working on being a comic book creator yourself. So I don't know if you want to get into a little bit of, you know, how that journey has been
0: for you. It's slow going because I because I do work a lot. Uh, and so it's it's like wherever I can just kind of fit it in, right? And as you, as you can imagine, I mean, I think the average comic book artist draws like a page a day. And for me to draw a page a day, that would take like a full day. So right. what I do is I'll end up doing my full day doing storyboards. And then I'll maybe throw in another two or three hours doing some comic work at the end of the day. And it's not work yet. It's all just perspective work at this point. So it takes me a long time at this point to produce uh, like a full page of of art uh, because I'm actually sort of laying it out and inking it because I'm doing it all digitally. So uh, there's the process for me is almost is kind of doubled because I have to rough it out first and then I have to go over and ink it clean. But for me, it's just it's it's a passion project. It's just stuff that I'm really getting a lot of emotional and, and mental joy out of working on. Uh, and ever since I hooked up with Kelly Brack, who's uh, who's my writer, I've really got this fire lit under me now that I like I feel like I can nearly do this. We're working on a project, uh, a couple of projects right now, one of which is uh, is this anthology. Uh, but the other one is actually just uh, like a four issue uh, miniseries that we're going to pitch around once the pitch is done, which is uh, I think we're just waiting on me to draw a cover now. And then I think it's ready to go. So <laughs> I better get on that. But uh, <laughs> like this is the stuff that's really like spinning my wheels right now, if you know what I mean, or turning my gears, I guess spinning wheels is bad, but turning gears is good. And so that's what it's doing. It's the stuff that I'm looking forward to working on almost more than anything else right now.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the epitome of a passion project. You know, like I said, you do this stuff during the day, and obviously you got to pay the bills, you got to eat. So, and not that you don't enjoy that work and you don't do it to the best of your ability, but by the same token, Everybody needs that one thing or that outlet where they're able to fully express themselves, where they may not be able to in another way.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, as much heart and soul of uh, of my own that I put into the Flash and Supergirl boards, I'm not as invested in them as I am in this thing that I'm that I'm you know co creator of. I mean, obviously. So,
1: and I actually didn't even know this um originally, but you and Kelly also had a podcast on Ace the Cloak, if I'm not mistaken.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I was the co-host of that. So
1: I forget the name of the YouTube channel, where basically it's like two artists, usually musicians, Well, they'll put them in a room and they'll basically just have a conversation, you know, from one artist to another. Like one I was watching recently was like Chino Moreno of Death Tones, you know, talking to Davey Havoc of um, AFI. And That's cool. And it was a lot of fun. And it was cool because it wasn't, there was no promotion. It wasn't necessarily about, we have an album, we have an album, but it was just two people who kind of came up uh, roughly around the same time, you know, discussing not only the music itself, but, you know, touring and things like that, just having a one-on-one conversation. And I love that. I just geek out just, well, of course, I'm just super fans of both the musicians. But by the same time, I love when creators talk to other creators and just really get into the meat and potatoes. And, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not necessarily a comic creator. I'm a comic book enthusiast. So I do my best to put the work out there. But sometimes it is a little refreshing to see creators, you know, having those conversations, whether it be in podcast form or even just on Twitter, because, you know, what better way to kind of collaborate than by getting to know your peers?
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. And that was sort of the basis for for our uh, Ace the Cloak podcast to begin with, was it was really just it was uh, what was the line that I used to say when we started that it was a, a podcast for creative people by creative people? So, yeah, we would try to get writers, artists, uh, people in film, like anybody that we could get on. And unfortunately, uh, just like time being a factor, I couldn't keep it going. But uh, I like there's somewhere in the back of my head when I, I want to try to get, get that going again, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it's important. I think people need to hear that. And something that I love about other podcasters who do something like that is I'm all about entertainment in terms of, you know, making something that people can enjoy. But I also figured the best way for people to to be entertained is also to learn a little bit. Cause you know, I said I've been reading comic books for years, I'm sure you have too, and for a long time, you know, I'd read a comic, you know, I'd be like, that was good, that wasn't good, and I'd wait for the next month for the next issue. But not realizing there's several human beings working on these books. Like, this isn't just necessarily printed by committee. Someone's got to sit down and do this, and have probably spent a great deal of time working on covers and inks and letters and things of that nature. So I think it's important for people to kind of, at least in that regard, know how to sausage it, so to speak, and just get behind the fact that even though you may not be into it, someone still worked on this, and those people should be recognized in some way.
0: Totally. Like, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, I don't like this, or, "Or you know, that that book's not my cup of tea or whatever, but... Uh, in each case, I mean, there there's a bunch of people who are working really hard to get these things to the consumer. So you know, I mean, I I don't like it when somebody like badmouths or or talks ill of of any sort of comic book creator or somebody who's putting out putting their own sort of creative uh, energies out there because it's a lot of work, you know, and especially in the comic business. I mean, I know it's like it's not the most lucrative business in the world. Right. So people people who are successful in in, in comics are really. The people who who have the real passion for it and uh so like i say like whether or not a book is up my alley or not i mean got it. i mean the the work involved should always be appreciated and respected
1: which i guess to say you know you said that time is a factor but considering now that so many people are doing different things whether it be submitting for anthologies or doing one shots or self-contained books i think that might probably be a good like jumping point Because I had imagined that at this point, maybe doing like an ongoing series might be a bit of a challenge with everything else going on.
0: For me, I I would if if I were to for however it came about, if I were to, to end up drawing a monthly comic book series, I could maybe do one regular storyboarding gig at the same time. I'd have to I'd have to put a lot of other storyboarding work off to the side for sure.
1: I don't know how feasible that would be because, I mean, I don't know, like, the frequency in which you do that, but obviously that's more of a personal
0: question than anything else. <laughs> oh, I, I, every But day. I've always got at least two shows on the go. Flash and Supergirl are my regular jobs. I do those. Uh, I'm in there at least three days a week and then sometimes more. When I go in for a meeting this morning, I did it for a show called Colony. They need one day of work. So I, so I went and I did that. And I do I do regular sort of one or two days here and there for Men in the High Castle as well. Yeah. And then uh, I actually just had a meeting with a movie, a feature film production, uh, which I, it looks like I'm going to be able to do alongside uh, my other things for a couple of months. Right. Uh, luckily, I have a very understanding wife who... Uh, Knows that when the busy time is upon us that I need to work as much as possible because the summer is a lot less busy. And uh, from July to May to really make a bunch of dough as much as I can. Right. (laughs) Uh, And so that the summer can be a little bit more of a relaxing time, which is, you know, works out for both of us. So.
1: Yeah, that's you know what? Not for nothing. That's kind of a nice setup.
0: No, it's great. Yeah, and she doesn't mind because she doesn't work. So <laughs> <laughs> me working like this allows her to not work. So that's good because she has her own things that she focuses on. So
1: Exactly. But I think that's also just pretty fascinating. That You know, I couldn't imagine people doing what they do if they didn't have, let's say, the significant others. People in their lives who were super understanding of the fact that, like, yes, while this does obviously pay for us to be able to do certain things, it's time consuming. You know, it's a lot of work involved. So to have someone who's able to let you do that and is super okay with it, that's pretty awesome.
0: It's a it's a game changer. There's only two ways that you can do it. You can do it with a very supportive partner or you can do it with no partner. That's the pretty much the only way to make a living as an artist. Uh, because it takes it does. It takes up a lot of time. It doesn't matter how, how fast I could draw or whatever, but the amount of work that I do takes up a lot of hours in my day, like anywhere from, you know, on a slow day, 12 hours on a, on a busy day, 20. So, yeah, you know, but it's also seven days a week. I do at least some work every day. So if my partner didn't believe in me and really support me, I I mean, I wouldn't be able to do it. The only other way would, would be to, uh, to, to not be in a relationship and I'm not willing to do that because I love my (laughs) wife. So,
1: (laughs) right. I was going to say, like, I don't want you to like look at like your wife comes into the room and hears that and be like, hold on a second.
0: (laughs) No, she's cool. She knows like she knows exactly what I need. And, and uh, as far as that goes, and it's uh, it's and it's good. And I'll be honest with you, you know, not to to throw my ex-wife under the bus or anything like that, but it was not the same type of relationship. And it was ultimately a factor in what doomed our relationship. So, right. you know, I mean, for me, it's really important that your partner just be really supportive. But again, it's the same thing, too, because we do throw our heart and our soul into this type of stuff. And whether it's blatant or not, there's a lot of emotion that goes into this work. And sometimes that emotion is just stress or trying to meet a deadline or anything like that. And to have somebody who who is as supportive as my wife is is really very helpful because, you know, I mean, I'll be working away, head down, buried, in no sense of time or whatever, and then I'll look up and my lunch is beside me. You know what I mean? Like, that helps. <laughs> Stuff like that <laughs> helps. So, yeah, no, she's wonderful. She's great. I love her so much, and she's great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I figure any couple... That can stick together during that. That's just as every important as sticking together during even like, let's say, the like legit bad times,
0: you know? Oh, totally. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, but you've got a lot of stuff going on. And actually, I didn't realize this, but um, you're also at the roller derby, which I think is
0: really cool. I do. I'm taking a little break right now just because the, the timing of it's not good. I, I, I injured myself slightly, so I have to take a little bit of time off of that. But uh, my team just went to Champs, which was over in Wales, and so they did—they uh, did okay over there. Uh, obviously, missed me. They didn't do as well as they could have, but <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, uh, but no, it was good, and I love it, and I can't wait to get back into it again. My the, the, a lot of the dudes on my team are retiring this year, I think, so it's going to be a bit of a weird year. But uh, you know, we rebuild and then we move up again. So there you go.
1: How did that come about?
0: I think the only way to get into roller derby is there's a couple of ways. Hey, you saw Whip It? That movie, Whip It and that uh, interested you or somebody that you know does it and (laughs) so you can go and figure it out that's about it it's this weird sort of like kind of it's definitely not mainstream it's kind of underground but i think a little bit like a a couple more people know about it nowadays than they did maybe five years ago and then when they do find out about it they're just like oh men play too and that's another thing that a lot of people don't know but uh, because it's a much smaller scene than the women's roller derby is but uh, yeah. So again, long story short, uh, my ex-wife got interested in it. And when you are the partner of somebody who wants to do roller derby, you, you go also. Uh, and if you don't want to play, then you uh, you referee if you can. So I started reffing for my ex-wife's uh, league and for various other reasons. Uh, during that time, it was about two years or so. But after about two years, we we split up. Uh, there's two leagues in toronto so she stuck with the league that we were at and then i went over to the other one and became a referee over there and then me and a couple of other guys over there a coach and another couple of referees started our own men's league in toronto because there was none and uh yeah formed a team and started playing and got our certification for the league and and yeah it was cool (laughs)
1: like i just find it just really interesting because it's like roller derby is one of those sports it's not like okay like basketball or baseball i figure if anybody's doing this because it's not like a oh gosh see now that no i'm sorry that sounded like low-key disrespectful and i'm not trying to be that what i meant to say is that it's not necessarily as like widely known not at all No, no no
0: yeah i mean i know people that don't even know that that women's roller derby exists and and a lot of people know that women's roller derby exists but when you get into the men's i mean it's like People are are, are confused. <laughs> They're like, "Why, why do you want to play men's roller derby?" I'm just like, "Well, because it's fun, ultimately." But it's really underground. I mean, it's it's not a particularly well known thing for sure.
1: What would you say was one of like your, for lack of a better term, you know, like holy shit moment where like you know something you had worked on, where you went, "Oh, this is actually really cool."
0: Well, they happen all the time.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: it's no, it's it's true. No, that's I, did, uh, <laughs> that's I mean. But honestly, I mean, this year has been a game changing year for me. I mean, I went from Toronto, which was very, a uh, very slow market for storyboard artists. It's a there's a lot of Canadian productions there that don't necessarily require a storyboard artist, because like I said before, it's visual effects and stunts and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, there's a show called, you know, like Republic of Doyle, which is like this. It's a show that's a Canadian show that doesn't have any <laughs> anything <laughs> in it, really. So, you know, you don't need to storyboard anything for that. So there's a lot of that type of show where there's not enough to sustain the storyboard artists that are trying to make a living in 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 Toronto, right? So there's like three sort of main guys and they're getting all the work because they're available to do the work. Right. When I started in Toronto, those guys were a lot busier doing all the sort of feature film stuff uh, on a regular basis. So I would get like the B-level feature film stuff and a lot of the TV I'd be available for it. So that's how I sort of made my living before. But then even that stuff started to dry up. And uh, uh, when I moved from Toronto to Vancouver about three years ago, just under three years ago, uh, I was again, I was driving a forklift and just doing part time storyboard work maybe once every couple of weeks.
1: I mean, I don't know if it's because of tax breaks, but I know like a lot of shows or even movies do get filmed in Vancouver. So I, I don't know if that really played into a lot of your work.
0: Well, I made a conscious decision to move from Toronto to Vancouver because there's a lot of shows out here. (laughs) Um, No, that's like, that was it. I was like, I was not happy in Toronto. It wasn't working. So I said to my wife, I was just like, well, you know, well, there's a couple of factors that came into it. And again, the roller derby comes into it because I was the big fish in a small pond with the roller derby. So I wanted to move out to Vancouver. Vancouver's had a men's team for about 10 years now. So some of the best players in Canada and really in North America are here in Vancouver. So I wanted to to go from big fish in small pond to small fish in big pond, and then it would improve, right? Mm-hmm. And then that combined with uh, the fact that my current wife's roller derby, she plays roller derby too, team in Toronto had taken a couple of hits f- from people retiring and stuff, and Vancouver's team was on its way up, so she was there was an incentive for her to come out here too. She didn't have a career in Toronto, she was just working a part-time job. So all those factors, and the fact that there's all these productions out here, was just like yeah, let's just do it. And so we literally made the decision. It was in like December of 2015, I guess, or 2014, to to go to just pick up and leave and make a go of it out here. So in order to make that happen, I had been in contact with some animation houses out here because they hire full time storyboard artists, which is not something that happens in in regular television or feature film. You're it's more of a contracty thing, right? Right. So. Uh, But I contacted an animation house and uh, had gone through the whole process of like applying and doing their tests and stuff like that. And two days after I arrived here in Vancouver, they offered me a job. But at the same time, the minute, I swear to God, the minute that we decided that we were going to move out here, uh, we decided that we were going to take about three months, leave our apartment, move in with her parents, save a little bit of money so that when we came out here, uh, we'd have some dough. Immediately, I got a call for a pilot that was shooting in Toronto. So I quit my job driving forklift immediately, like that day, said, nope, you. see you later, guys. <laughs> and uh, I started working on this pilot on the on the Monday, did that for three weeks, overlapped the last week of that show with uh, that. Do you remember Heroes Reborn from a yep. couple of years ago? Yeah. So I started doing that in Toronto. Uh, and the, one of the producers on that producer slash director on that was Matt Shackman, who will come into the story later. So he and I got along really well. I ended up doing every episode of Heroes Reborn, half of them from here after I moved here. It was kind of a <laughs> funny thing. But the second director I worked with on Heroes Reborn, uh, I prepped half of his episode, drove out to Vancouver, got here at four o'clock in the afternoon seven days later, Skyped a meeting with him, and actually was working on the very first day that I got here. That's crazy for Heroes Reborn. And then the next day he called me up and said, "Hey, look, in like when as soon as I'm finished my episodes of Heroes here in Toronto, Uh, I'm moving out to Vancouver to executive produce a minority report TV show that Fox had on a couple of years ago. Uh, So we're going to need storyboards for every episode. So keep yourself free. And I'm just like, okay. So I called the animation (laughs) house back. I literally (laughs) called the animation house back and I said, okay, so two hours ago you offered me a job and I took it and I can't take it now. And I'm really sorry. (laughs) And I've literally worked every day since. So
1: could you imagine like, had you not taken that call, like I would have changed everything.
0: I mean, I think sometimes when you make a positive decision, like a life changing decision, things start to fall into place just from having made that decision. Right. So moving out here and just deciding that I wasn't happy and picking up and and following really just like a fly by the seat of my pants kind of moment. Like it really didn't take us very long to, to weigh the odds, uh, maybe three days of thinking about it before we decided to do it, to literally pick our lives up and move across the country. And honestly, it's worked out so far.
1: I would say. I mean, that's pretty fantastic. And your body of work and what you've been involved in is pretty cool. And I'm also just very interested to see that work then transition into comics. And like I said, you and Kelly have had a a great working relationship. And I'm really interested to see you know where it comes from there and what you're able to work on. Like you said, that's something that you are super into. And that's something that you're very passionate about. And I feel like once you kind of take, you know, your expertise and what you've learned here and put it into the world of comics, I think that'd be a, a really great combination. And well, best of luck to you in that regard.
0: Well, thanks a lot. And I agree. I think that uh, that I've been telling stories like I've been a artist for about 17 years now, all, all told. So varying degrees of busy and not busy, but still for a long time uh and so i really i you know i do have a really good sense of how to tell a story visually Do you know what i mean right so i really do think that that drawing comics is something that i will that i will succeed at it's just a matter of you know the the road in if you know what i mean so i've made I've made some connections along the way that i think are going to help me out but ultimately i think that kelly and i's uh, talent are, are what's going to make it going to make it happen i mean we're working on a couple of things the uh, and the one of them is like they said that four issue miniseries and i think that that's going to be Somebody's gonna want to publish that with us.
1: (laughs) Well, like I said, best of luck and good luck. And also, well, um, I actually was was funny just going through feed. How crazy was it to see Kevin Smith wearing a piece of
0: clothing with like one of your designs on it? It's awesome. I've been a fan of Kevin's since Clerk's. I mean, to be afforded the opportunity to work with somebody that you've held in high regard for, for a long time, uh, is really exciting. And he's you know, I mean, I'm I'm happy, you know, we continue to work together. I mean, obviously, every time he comes together, he comes up here to do an episode of Flash or Supergirl. Uh, I do storyboards for it. Uh, but also, I mean, I've designed, uh, what is it, five Jersey Crests for him now? And uh, I'm working on another one. And yeah, he's he talks about it, so I'll talk about it too. He's currently in preparation to do uh, his new Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie. And I am uh, going to be storyboarding some things for that. So oh,
1: fantastic.
0: I mean, it's good. I mean, we have a good working relationship. I think I've shown him the merits of storyboards, which I don't think he really ever uh, he never really gave them much thought before because just didn't really need them. But I mean, there's a couple of things in this in this new script that uh, that I think he really that will definitely benefit to to be storyboard, and I think he sees that. and that's that's pretty cool. Uh, and also, uh, I mean, he's I consider him to be a friend now, too, which is which is kind of amazing. If you told, you know, 22-year-old me that uh, that I was going to be friends with Kevin Smith one day, I would have told you you were an idiot and that, <laughs> and that you were lying to me. But uh, but here it is. So, you know, I mean, we're not best friends or anything like that, but, I mean, you know, he answers my emails. So <laughs> <laughs> Hey, anytime
1: you send out a message to anybody and they're willing to respond, you know what, it, it's a it's good day.
0: Totally, totally.
1: And not for yeah. nothing, like, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on was, of course, to talk about the importance of storyboarding, And we talk about comics a lot, obviously, on the show. And something that I've noticed is the artists and writers get discussed a lot, but at the same time, there's, you know, there's anchors, there's letters, there's people who do flats, there's colorists, there's so many people involved in the process of comics and just any creative endeavor. And I think it's about time that we, as a community, really show that everybody's involvement is important. You know, it all works to create, you know, like kind of, it's kind of, you know, at the risk of sounding like quasi poetic, you know, it's like all for the greater good, you know?
0: <laughs> totally. There's so many people like, I mean, when you, when you look at film production or even a television production and you see the word directed by, right.
1: Mm-hmm. That,
0: that is, that is a literal description of what the job is as the director. Like every shot is not yours. You know what I mean? Like, right. like you are the person that is directing the heads of department. To make the things happen, you know what I mean. So you're literally the the person. You're the puppet master. You are the literal director of everything that will end up on screen. So it's not just about the shots. And it's, I mean, really, the shots come into uh, uh, obviously the director has a lot of say in that. But really, the shots come down to the director of photography more often than not. Uh, the director will say, "I want this to happen," but it's the it, but it's the cinematographer that that makes it happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's the prop master who makes sure that all of the props look right. It's not the director that makes the props look right. He'll have final say. He or she will have final say. But ultimately, it's so many different pieces of 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 a puzzle that all come together. And the director's the person who makes the puzzle.
1: It's about time that people realize there's so much that goes into this stuff. So I appreciate you sharing your story.
0: Yeah, that's part of the reason that I try to be as present on social media as I can, because I think there's a lot of people that didn't really understand what storyboards were or, uh, uh, you know, that that they were such a thing that that these TV shows that they watch on a regular basis even use them or or that they were maybe as as nice looking as as sometimes they are or whatever. And so for me to like to be able to post some of the work that I do, uh, it is a a bit of an educational sort of companion piece to watching the show, which is kind of cool. Uh, and, and, you know, at the very, at the end of the day, I guess there's about 2,500 people that follow me on Twitter who appreciate, uh, that sort of behind the scenes sort of, sort of look, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I definitely do. Cause I didn't even notice that until I would say probably like the Lord of the Rings, like especially the extended edition, uh, DVDs when they first came out and I'm watching hours upon hours of the behind the scenes footage and what really went into making these movies and whether you like Lord of the Rings or not i mean that's another discussion for another day but you can't deny the fact that you know especially you know talking about storyboards and just you know people who did miniatures and costuming and makeup those are literal hours of pe- people's time to make something and that has to be rewarded in some way even if totally. just to say you know thank you i mean shoot even us having this conversation you're someone who's working on all these different projects like you said every day so if you're taking an hour of your time to talk to me about your work. That's something I have to also be appreciative too. So I think if we take anything away from this before we close out is appreciate the work that people do when it comes to creating comics, writing music or making movies, whatever it is, is because these people, at least for the most part, are putting their all into these works that, you know, we watch and we react to on social media or, you know, on our own personal lives. So if nothing else, again, thank you for what you do and for what everybody does. Because like I said, it's not easy. And it's a it's a long slog. But at the same end of the day, when you look at that finished product, you can be proud knowing that you were involved in that. Like you made an impact and like that thing that people are live tweeting on like a weekly basis, like you were involved somehow. So that must be really fascinating and really fun.
0: Totally. I mean, when you get when you get right down to it, to kind of circle back to the question that you asked that I don't really feel like I answered very well. Uh, but like <laughs> That's ex- all right. The the exciting things like the, the things that 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 make me really sort of like, proud of what I do and, like, the parts that make me still kind of, like, giddy about the job that I do, uh, working on Deadpool for sure was one. Uh, I got to draw some stuff during that production that, that obviously I can't talk about. Right. But that, like, really sort of, uh, played to my sensibilities as somebody who grew up reading comic books. You know what I mean? Right. And the second example of that would really be Game of Thrones. Again, I mean, Game of Thrones is huge. It's a massive cultural landmark. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so you end up being the person who storyboarded the loot train sequence on Game of Thrones. The fact that it has a title, <laughs> it's, the, <laughs> it's the loot train sequence. Uh, like I storyboarded that bit from beginning to end. I storyboarded the last, what was it, 20 minutes of that episode I think it's 117 pages of storyboards for that with three frames per. It's a huge book of storyboards. It's amazing. That's nuts. And it was a lot of work. And because it's Game of Thrones, it was more like working on a feature in that I had a little bit of time and we revised it a whole bunch of times, more so than you would normally do on a TV show. And we did it uh, with a nine hour time difference. My director, who was Matt Shackman, which is how he comes back around, he was in Ireland and Spain. Uh, And I was here in Vancouver while we while we did this work on Game of Thrones. It was literally a nine hour time difference every time we talked. And uh, that made it kind of tricky and fun, but ultimately exciting. As a storyboard artist, you frequently get a chance to to be creative and add shots in that the director didn't necessarily think of. And I did that a couple of times during that loot train sequence. And the gratification of seeing those shots make it to the final cut. That's mind blowingly cool.
1: Jeremy, thank you so much, man. Thank you for taking the time out. And um, again, thank you for sharing your story. And hopefully people took something away from this and and realized just what goes into what you do. But before we go, if you wouldn't mind, uh, please feel free to let people know where they can maybe find more about your work or in your social media, anything else that you wish to uh, promote before we leave.
0: Well, I'd like to keep it simple. So you can find me, uh, uh, my website, if you wanted to see samples of my work, is jeremysimser.com. Uh I'm on Instagram at Jeremy Simser, uh and I am on Twitter at Jeremy Simser.
1: That'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue.